And if you will, let's look in uh, verse number 43, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. <clears throat> Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this afternoon and speak to our hearts. May we learn some things that will be a help to us in following you. And Lord, may we be willing, having seen the truth from your word today, to put it into practice in our lives regardless of the cost, that we would be willing to be obedient, we would be willing to lay our will aside, and to give our wills wholly to you. And so, Father, help us this afternoon as we look into your word. May your Holy Spirit do his work. May your word go forth in power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not going to re-preach the morning message, although we are going to use the same text. And uh, years ago, I was in a service, and um, a preacher was preaching, and he said, you know, one of the problems as we preach, and the Bible teaches us and instructs us, and the Bible talks about this, it's, a, it's, an, it's a useful, it's, it's, it's uh, profitable to us uh, for doctrine and for reproof and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. And so it teaches us. Uh, some things that uh, we ought to be doing, and we, we oftentimes deal with uh, what needs to be done and, and um, what the Bible tells us we need to do. What we oftentimes don't deal a lot with is how we accomplish that. And a lot of times we make decisions for the Lord, and we say, okay, Lord, I want to I succeed in this area that I've seen in Scripture, and we make the commitment to Him. We may even come to an altar, or we may get alone with Him in our prayer closet and make the commitment to Him. And then we get up from there having our batteries charged and excited about the decision we've made, but we have no idea how to accomplish it. And so I want to take a few moments this afternoon, and I want to deal with one aspect of the morning message that we dealt with. And uh, it is something that I think oftentimes we do not know how to do, and, and yet the Bible does give some teaching on the subject and some things that I think we can understand from Scripture that will help us to know better how to do that. If you look with me in verse number 44, I'll look at, let's look at the passage where uh, I'll be dealing with this morning or this afternoon. When uh, Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples here, he's trying to instill things in them uh, after having dealt with the heart of the issue and what they were on the inside. He's now trying to say from that heart, there need to be some things that are the fruit of that, that, that are done outwardly. And he says unto them, unto them that they should love their enemies, according to verse 44, to bless them that curse you, to do good to them that hate you. And then he says this, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So I want to uh, take a few moments this afternoon and let's find some of the things that the Bible says uh, about how we pray for those that despitefully use us and persecute us, or we could say it, our enemies, all right? How do we pray for those that despitefully use us? How do we pray for those that persecute us? Uh, I know how we want to pray. Lord, get them. <laughs> and, 
you know, and, and then we say, well, I was obedient, I prayed. But is that really what he intends for us to do in this passage? There are certain times in Scripture, uh, after someone who has done evil is, uh, it has been beyond the help and, and has exceeded all of the efforts to try to do everything else first, there are times where even the psalmist prays for God to bring judgment, for their days to be shortened on the earth because of the evil that they were involved in. These are folks who uh, are uh, continuously involved in evil. Their imaginations of evil are constantly evil. Uh, these are not the people who uh, have intermittently hurt you or done something wrong towards you. Uh, but these are folks that, we, that were prayed for in Scripture that were evil people. The, their hearts were wholly evil and given to that. And I believe personally that they were at a point where uh, it was known that God was uh, that they were not going to turn to God, uh, and so there are times that certainly we pray the Lord rather than allow this evil to continue to exist and it seems like it's not going to get any better, then shorten the ability of that. And there are times that we pray that way. In in the context of what we're dealing with here, we're dealing with people who uh, treat us in a wrong way. And this is specifically what it's talking about. People that um, have despitefully used us or persecuted us. And it says that we're to pray for them. And I think there are some things we can glean from Scripture that will help us in how we are to pray for them. So let's take a look, and, and you can hold your place here. We'll, we'll come back to it. But let's start in Second Peter, if you will. And we're going to look at a number of Scriptures today, because again, we want... We want to know what God's opinion of this, or God's mindset is on this, uh, not what my opinion is, and or what I think about it. We want to know what does the Bible have to say about it. Second uh, Peter chapter number three. Second Peter, chapter number three, very familiar passage of Scripture. In verse number nine, the Bible says, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward usward." Now, I want you to notice this particular phrase. Not willing that any should perish, but that, what's the next word here? All should come to repentance. If we as God's people know that it is God's will for all to come to repentance, then I think the first way that we need to pray for those that despitefully use us and those that persecute us is we need to pray for their salvation. We need to pray that they come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look with me in Jonah, chapter number 4 in the Old Testament. The book of Jonah, chapter number 4. Now, understand, when God uh, commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, and you know we, uh, we all know the story, Jonah fled from Nineveh, went the other direction, down to Tarsus. And yet, oftentimes, we don't understand really why that is the case. Nineveh, you need to understand, was the capital city of the uh, Assyrians. And at this time, the Assyrians had brutally, cruelly, and viciously brought the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. Their ruthlessness to their enemies was notorious. And the Israelites hated the Assyrians because of their cruelty. Don't, don't just look at this and say, well, Jonah just didn't want to do what the Lord said. That wasn't necessarily his reasoning for fleeing. His reasoning was he didn't want to do what the Lord said because he hated the Assyrians. And that's important as we get to this verse. It's important that you understand why he hated them. 
why he didn't do what God said. Let's look in uh, Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to read verse number 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Now, so, so get, get the position that Jonah is in. God's told him to go to Nineveh and to preach repentance, to, or preach them that, that to them they need to repent and turn to God. And yet they're the ones that had brought Israel into cruel and absolutely uh, vicious uh, um, captivity. There's a hatred there. Uh, there is a, Lord, please bring judgment on these people. Uh, and that's the heartbeat of the Israelites. But I want you to notice this. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. In other words, Jonah was saying, Lord, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that you were going to be merciful and you were going to forgive them, and they don't deserve it because of all that they have done against our country. But we understand what God's desire was, don't we? It was not to seek vengeance on the Ninevites. It was to call them to repentance, wasn't it? Who are we to determine what happens to our enemies when God may have something far better in mind for them? Look with me in John chapter number 3. This is probably not as well known of a passage of Scripture. Uh, probably a, a rather obscure verse, I would imagine. John chapter number 3, at least by way of the way we see people living it, and verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him. Did we see that word? Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. Are we starting to understand that God takes no delight in vengeance and judgment of the wicked? He does not delight in it. God does not sit up in heaven waiting for the wicked to do something wicked so He can say, all right, I got them now. I can bring judgment to them. No, no. What is God's heart on the issue? God's heart is that all of them come to repentance. So when we pray for our enemies, when we pray for those that despitefully use us, we pray for those that persecute us, what should be our prayer? Lord, Help them come to a saving knowledge of You. Help them come to a saving knowledge of You. This is the desire of God's heart. And we want to pray the way God would want us to pray in this matter. I'll be real frank with you. There are people that treat me in certain ways that I'll be honest with you, my flesh does not want to pray for that. It doesn't. The flesh is like, Lord, get them and get them good. I don't like what they've done to me. They deserve what, they, what they've sown. And yet, it ought to be our heart's desire to see them come to repentance. Nineveh was a great city. Probably, more than likely, the, the, from the excavations of the city and archaeological discoveries, probably well over a million people in the city are close to it. That's a lot of people to die and go to hell. 
and yet by the obedience of Jonah, to go and preach the gospel to those, to preach repentance to these people for the purpose of seeing them come back to Christ. It was God's desire. It wasn't Jonah's. He was angry. When God spared Nineveh, Jonah said, See, God, I knew this was going to happen. And they don't deserve it. That was him in the flesh. But what was God's heart? God's heart was to be long-suffering and to offer them grace, just like He offered you and I grace. So when we pray for our enemies, when we pray for those that despitefully use us or persecute us, I think first and foremost we need to pray, Lord, help them to be saved. Help the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to their heart that they would see that need. Have you ever noticed this? It is so much easier, so much easier to criticize, to speak evil of, those that have done us wrong or don't do things the way we think they ought to be, than it is to pray for them to be saved. You ever notice that? We certainly spend way more time doing it, don't we? Most of the time. We get on Facebook and we gripe and we complain and we talk bad about them. But we haven't probably even spent that many minutes praying for them to be saved. And yet it is the heart of God. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So we ought to pray for them to be saved. Now, I know that's a hard thing for us to do, especially when someone who has despitefully used us or persecuted us. But it ought to be the first thing we begin to pray for. Let's look at another uh, passage of Scripture. Turn over to Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs chapter number 24. Proverbs chapter number 24. I think the second thing we need to pray for when we're praying for those that have uh, despitefully used us, those that have persecuted us, I believe that we need to pray that we have the same view of them that God has. Pray that we would have the same view of them that God has. Let's look in Proverbs chapter number 24. And let's look in verse number um, 17. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. I put down on my second point here, the way I worded it is, we need to pray for God to help us have a right spirit towards them. We need to pray that God would help us to have a right spirit towards them. I'll be real frank with you. I'm going to be as transparent as a pastor can be right now. There have been numerous times in my life where people that have done me wrong have had problems. I try, I do try, not to rejoice in it, but there are times that my heart has a glimmer of joy or gladness that they are suffering through what they went through. I... uh, I had somebody hurt me a long time ago down when I was in Florida. And uh, viciously, I mean viciously, attacked me and my family. And there were people that we had loved for very, a very long time, had known them for years, had, had done a lot to try to be a help and a blessing to these people over the years. And they hurt us, and they hurt us really, really bad. I mean bad. 
And they left our church and um, just a few months, a few months later, uh, I had heard that the wife of the, the man in the family had had a stroke. And I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most eye-opening things in my life because my initial thought was God's getting them for what they did. I don't like to admit that, but that was my flesh. And the truth of the matter is, God really got a hold of my heart and tore me up over that. And I had to end up writing an email to the fellow and apologizing. And I, I said, look, I know you don't care for me and my family, but I said, I have to apologize for this. I said, I want you to know I'm praying for you and your family. I never got a response back from him. But I'm going to tell you something. The flesh, it wanted so bad to just say, thank you, Lord, you got them. And the truth is, I should have been brokenhearted over it. Because here's a, a fellow that... Even if he is mad at me, even if he's done me wrong, at least is a Christian brother in Christ. And he's hurting. And his family is hurting. And the last thing they need is someone that comes and is glad or rejoicing over their, their problems that they're in. If God chooses to bring judgment or chastening on someone, that's his business. That's not ours. It is not his desire that you and I are happy when the wicked uh, fall into some trying times. When he stumbles, our hearts should not be glad about that. There ought to be a reaching out. I, uh, one of the hardest things to do is to write a letter or place a phone call to somebody who has hurt you and hurt you bad in a time where you know that they're going through some trials. And to say, I want to just let you know I'm praying for you. And yet I think it's one of the great things we can do in the Christian life. I truly believe that. So we understand that God does not desire for us to rejoice in the falling of the wicked and those that uh, fall into uh, trials and troubles. Uh, I, I think that we need to pray, secondly, for God to give us the right spirit. Number one, we need to pray that, that God would save them. Number two, I think we need to pray for God to help us to have a right spirit about them. And then let's look in Ezekiel chapter number 33. Ezekiel chapter number 33. And uh, we'll look in verse number 11. Ezekiel chapter 33 and uh, verse number 11. Let's back up to verse 10. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel, thus ye speak, saying, If our transgression and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked, notice this, turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? Do we understand and know this, that at some point, people that continue in their sin will experience the judgment of God one way or the other? If they're lost, they'll certainly have the judgment of God. If they're saved, they're certainly going to have the chastening of God. If they continue in it, it's sooner or later going to catch up with them. It is going to happen. God says, I don't, I don't desire that. He said, what I desire is that they will get things right. 
that they would refrain from the things that they're doing that's wicked and turn from it. And I think the third thing we ought to pray for when it comes to praying for those that despitefully use us and persecute us is, Lord, help them to refrain from their wickedness. Help their eyes to be open. Help them to see that what they're doing is causing great harm. We need to pray for them to be saved. We need to pray that we have a right spirit about them. We need to pray that God would help them to refrain from their wickedness. Look also with me in Isaiah chapter number 55. Isaiah chapter number 55, and we'll look in verse number 7. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. By the way, aren't we glad that God abundantly pardons? I sure am in my case. And I would hope that He would abundantly pardon in the case of those that despise me and despitefully use me or or persecute me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You read a verse like verse 7 and you think, Lord, that just doesn't make any sense. But I'm thankful God knows better than you and I, don't you? Aren't we glad of that? We need to pray for God to help them to refrain from their wickedness and to turn back to Him. To refrain from their wickedness and turn back to Him. And then lastly, uh, let's look in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And uh, we'll look in verse number 24. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll look in verse 24. Again, we don't want to just teach today from God's Word what we need to do. I'd like us to know when we leave here how we accomplish it. How in the world do we pray for those that despitefully use us and persecute us? Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, and let's look in verse number 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So it is up to the servant of the Lord, it is up to you and I, to in meekness, in gentleness, without striving, that we are to instruct those that oppose themselves. And so I put down as the fourth thing, we ought to pray for the opportunity to be a help to this brother or sister to come back to God. We ought to pray for the opportunity to present itself for us to be the one that is the help to them. To come to them and to instruct them What do we instruct them in? Do we instruct them in what we think about the issue? Do we instruct them in what we feel about the issue? I know we go to the Internet and we Google the problem and we find out what other men that are well-educated have to say about it. Is that what we instruct them in? What do we instruct them in? We instruct them in the truth of God's Word. 
We use the Bible. We teach them. And by example, by the way, aren't you glad that when Christ taught, He didn't just teach His disciples what to do, He practiced what He taught. If anybody could have taught something and then not practiced it, if God chose to do that, He could have chosen to do that. But He didn't. He did it to be a help to us. So much so that when Jesus went to Calvary, as He was being put on that cross and being crucified, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was able to forgive those that were despitefully using Him and persecuting Him. And He was able to pray for them, wasn't He? He prayed to His Father to forgive them. I'm glad that we have an example that the Bible doesn't just tell us what we ought to do, that Christ is our example in how we're to do it. And so we find here that this servant of the Lord is to instruct those that oppose themselves. If peradventure, God will give them repentance according to the acknowledging of the truth. And by the way, that's where repentance always comes from, acknowledging the truth, realizing we don't measure up to it, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let's look in uh, James chapter number 5, and this will be our last passage. James chapter number 5. James chapter 5, and let's look in verse number 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. It ought to be our heart's desire when someone ill-uses us, when speaks evil of us, hates us, despitefully uses us, persecutes us, it ought to be our heart's desire to do everything in our power and to look for opportunities to reach them with the truth of God's Word, to help them to see the error of their ways, and that the truth of God's Word will bring a conversion in their heart. The Bible says that him that he... he or let, uh, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. There are things I think we ought to pray for when it comes to praying for those that despitefully use us and persecute us. I think we ought to pray, first of all, that they get saved. I think, secondly, we need to pray for God to help us have a right spirit about them. I think we need to pray that they would refrain from their wickedness and turn to the Lord. And lastly, I think we need to pray for opportunity for the Lord to use us as the instrument to reach them with the truth of His Word, that they can be converted from their ways. These are things that, to be real frank with you, are difficult when we're the one that's been hurt. It's very, very difficult to pray that way. But I believe that these are at least several of the ways, and there are certainly, I'm sure, more that we could find in Scripture. But these are a few ways that I think you and I can pray, and pray within the will of God for those that despitefully use us and persecute us. So I hope that will be a help to you, and maybe kind of go along as a supplement to the morning message, and something that will be able to be a help to you. Let's go ahead and stand together, and we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we are so thankful for Your Word, and 
how it does guide us and, and instruct us. There, Lord, there's so much truth. The truth is we could study it for a lifetime and never exhaust it. Never know fully all of it. But may it be our heart's desire to study its pages and to pursue after it, to hunger and thirst for the truth that lies.